I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello there, it's Tom Gibbs here, just talking to you before you hear the familiar music of Audio Football Club. We are, of course, wrapping up now as we approach the end of the season, but we're going to look ahead to next season next week with a slew of shows for you. We're going to go daily for one week only. We'll have a new podcast for you from Monday to Friday as we look forward to, hopefully, a very exciting end to the Premier League season. This will inform where we take the podcast for next season. We'd also welcome your thoughts if you've listened to us this year. What would you like more of? What would you like less of? How bored are you of my voice? Tell us all of those things at the normal email address. It's afcpodcast at telegraph.co.uk. On with the show. Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to Telegraph Audio Football Club. Today, our thoughts on the race for the remaining two Champions League places, which is now of such low quality, it feels like we're watching YouTube on a dial-up modem. Manchester City and Liverpool win again, of course they do, and the rest of the Premier League happens in quite uneventful style, but we'll have some fun, I promise you. Plus, Norwich and Sheffield United promoted bizarre goings-on at Leeds versus Aston Villa, and the surprising first mention of the season for George Galloway. Let's take you now into the audio recording facility where I'm joined by the pulsating, tactical mega brain of JJ Bull. How are you, JJ? I'm good, Tom. I have avoided any sort of uh, bad things happening to me in the park this week. That's good. Yes, I've enjoyed it. Have you been to the park this weekend? I've uh, Yes, I've walked through the park. Good. I've been in the park. Good. I live next to the park. I did see a man trying to break into a van, but it wasn't. he hadn't committed the crimes. So I couldn't report it at the time. Oh. I don't know what the... Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Next to him making an audio football club debut. It's the man from Twitter, Adam Hurry. How are you, Adam? <laughs> That's always how I, how I like to be introduced. Yeah, I, I feel like a, um, a youth player who's been drafted in for the sort of last game of the season while uh, sort of the, uh, the big players are headed off to the beach. So it's nice to be, uh, <laughs> nice to be given some minutes good, good, under yeah. my belt. Well, this is it. We'll, we'll, we'll see how this goes and possibly loan you out to another podcast for next <laughs> season to gain more experience completing our lineup. Always a pleasure to welcome the world's greatest man, Jim White. How are you, Jim? <laughs> I'm very good. Uh, in the interest of outright sycophancy, can I just congratulate the Telegraph Sports editor, John Mullen, for completing the marathon yesterday? Yes. Quite remarkable for a man of his age, given how much he's drunk. <laughs> <laughs> if John Mullen is listening to this podcast, which I very much doubt he is. I'm sure he appreciates that very much, Jim. Let's begin with what is an increasingly or decreasingly perhaps uh, low quality race for the Champions League places. I've timed myself and I'm not already there. Um, Spurs opened the door slightly uh, this weekend with a defeat to West Ham. Then Arsenal lost. Um, United and Chelsea obviously drew. I was amazed by the standard of this United-Chelsea game, especially the last 20 minutes or so. So many errors, so many offsides, so many poor decisions being made by both teams. What's happened to them, Jim? Uh, yeah, I was there. It was remarkably bad. There was one period where 
Uh, Nemanja Matic sort of fell asleep in midfield, got tackled. The ball broke. Romelu Lukaku fell over and lost it. It then came uh, to Ruben Loftus-Cheek, who passed it straight into touch. (laughs) This is meant to be the elite of the Premier League. Uh, But yet they're playing. Maybe they're consumed with nerves. Maybe the importance of what they're trying to achieve is, is too great for them. But what I think we're increasingly seeing is uh, what, for want of a better word, I'm going to call the La Ligafication of uh, the Premier League, that we've got these two superb teams brilliantly duking it out at the top, Barcelona-Real Madrid style, and then everyone else is just rubbish, uh, with occasionally a kind of Valencia-Sevilla moment in the in the Europa League. And, and that's what we've become. We're meant to be the most competitive league in the world, but... Watching yesterday, the competition was just to see how bad you could be. Do you think that's a long-term thing? Because lots of things have changed in the Premier League over the course of time. We've had what feels like unending dominance from one or two teams uh, in the past, but then it all shifts again in a ways that we can barely imagine. Do you think it's different this time? No, I think we're living in a moment where there are two teams miles better than everyone else. I was thinking yesterday, watching the game, there are probably only three players on that pitch who would get close to either City or Liverpool's uh, squads. And one of them, Eden Hazard, isn't going to be in either of them next season because he's off to Real Madrid. Uh, That's how far off they are, these teams uh, below. There are an awful lot of players who just wouldn't be touched by Liverpool or City. At the moment, maybe in four or five years' time, things will have changed around. It may just be one of those cyclical things we're going through. You wrote about Hazard last week, Adam. Mm. not a fantastic game for him, but Chelsea are really going to have to fundamentally change what they're doing without him next season. Yes, but I, it, there, are, there are, it's a possibility that it won't actually be a catastrophe for them. I mean, he's scored or assisted 48% of their Premier League goals this season, but if you actually look at the volume of what he produces, it's not incredible. We're not talking Ronaldo and Messi levels. This season will probably be the first season he breaks the 20-goal barrier for Chelsea in all competitions. Um, that isn't irreplaceable. He himself is, and but that's that's a good thing. Um, if Chelsea are to close the gap between themselves and Liverpool and City, then they're going to have to get themselves into a state where they're not rely, reliant on one player. Liverpool aren't, City aren't. They have this collective where they can they can replace various parts when they need to. Um, so, yeah, his sheer numbers aren't replaceable. He he's not a huge character in you know he's not a leader. So that there, there are elements of of, of that which. You know they probably could plug that gap. It's just that the fee that they might likely get for him, let's say a ballpark figure of eighty-five million pounds, buys you very little these days, especially if you're not allowed to spend it. <laughs> the only problem is that I mean, yeah, the the numbers, the goals may not be there, but the creativity is. There's l- literally nothing coming from Chelsea. Uh, creatively, well, that's that, well. In that sense, he's part of the problem because everything goes through Hazard, especially at home, where they, where they, you know, where they're really chasing a goal. The ball sort of gravitates towards him on the left hand side, and and then the crowd just waits to see what he's going to do. And as the game goes on, he gets crowded out a little bit more, and he has to sort of run to the byline, and then there's no one around him to kind of help him. But isn't this the kind of uh, diagnosis of if you cut off your head, you'll get rid of your headache? <laughs> well, thing is with Hazard, it's it's a reasonably good time to be getting rid of him. He's 20, 28 years old. He'll be twenty nine next season. 
um, that pace isn't going to last forever. His his physique is 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 a very strange one. Um, Sam Dean wrote an incredible piece this week, which focused on his buttocks, uh, and again, those buttocks are going to be very hard to replace, I imagine. But uh, uh, but they've got you know they've got Pulisic coming in next season, who uh, who isn't going to be a ready-made Hazard replacement, but he will provide something for the Chelsea fans, um, you know, to get stuck into, you know you know, kind of appeal to their imagination a bit. Because at the moment, Chelsea are very predictable and they know it's going to be Hazard and we all know what he can do. There's nothing left for him to surprise us with. If that transfer embargo is upheld, is that going to give a chance to some of the younger players like Tammy Abraham or Mason Mount, JJ? Have you been impressed by any of those younger Chelsea players? Uh, well, it's odd that you've now got the end of the season, he's treated um, Hudson-Odoi and Loftus-Cheek almost as though they're both the same age. Loftus-Cheek is not. He's, he should be really playing every single week. He's about 23, 4, I think mm, now. 23, I think. 23. Um, but they've come in at the end of the season and they've started playing. There's a. I wonder whether that's Sarri actually choosing to do that himself or whether someone above has said, you're going to have to do this or we're going to need to get rid of you because you might not be able to sign anyone the following season. Kovacic... I don't know what he was really offering them in midfield other than just a side-to-side passer. Jorginho just passes side-to-side. He's had more touches and passes than any player in the Premier League this season, but he's not really done anything good. <laughs> like I don't know what... Uh, so if Chelsea are trying to play in this attacking way going forward and they get slowed down, then it's because they're going through Jorginho, everything goes through him. So if they have Jorginho there, then it has to be played at a certain pace because he's there to link it all together. Another reason I think they're struggling with this creativity maybe in the final third, is that every team knows that you set off Chelsea and then give them the ball and they run out of ideas. They need Hazard to do something. Mm. But, I mean, Man United did it on the weekend. They just sat off and tried to counter them. And that's why it kind of, I think, fizzled out into that pretty boring. I mean, the second half was terrible. It was like watching QPR. Yeah, but then that's been the same for years and years and years. So um, I know it's, people, I keep reading that the title race is boring, but this is no different to me as a non-supporter of any of these teams than it has been for any other season. It's good having two teams so close together. And then below them, you've got a bracket of teams who who uh, keep trying to give up fourth place, but you've got that whole other section of teams that you don't know who's going to win what week. That's quite yeah. good. I don't think it's a depressing situation at no, all. No, I think it's good. I, I think Manchester City and Liverpool are so good, but that there isn't a lot of room for them to get much better. Um, Spurs will probably stay at that level for a while. They've got a good foundation. And then you've got three teams, Arsenal, Man United and Chelsea, who can only get better. They, yeah. um, um, you know, market forces dictate that they pretty much can only improve. And I think we'll end up with a very competitive division. I don't think this is doom and gloom at all. But how do you explain the fact that these three teams as that you mentioned, United, Arsenal and Chelsea, they dominated the last decade in this country and they've all dropped off at the same time. Do they share something? Is there something they have in common that explains why this has all happened at the same time, those three? Uh, well, well, go on, Jim. You go. Um, they don't share something uh, in that, you know, two of them have lost managers uh, who did everything. That's a significant factor. Um, Manchester United have been catastrophic in the uh, transfer market since Sir Alex Ferguson left. Just as a business, like the, oh, the whole, the whole one side, this, the football side of their business is utterly failing. Isn't You're it? talking about a club that 10 years ago, 15 years ago, was signing Rio Ferdinand, Nemanja Vidic, Patrice Evra, Cristiano Ronaldo, Wayne Rooney. Yes, mistakes were made, but that's your core. They're now buying in finished over-the-hill crocs. So you've had Falcao, Schweinsteiger, the absolutely astonishingly bad 
Alexis Sanchez. <laughs> quite how Alexis Sanchez is anywhere near a football team, never mind being paid £500,000 every, every time he steps out, is extraordinary. I mean, if you look at who they have bought in the last five years, basically Luke Shaw's about the only one who's any good. I don't think it's just about players as well. I think it's it's a structural thing. They've been um, United, Chelsea, and Arsenal have been caught on the hop a bit by City and Liverpool getting their houses properly in order. Um, they're doing a, that thing where it's all geared towards the manager, like finding the dream manager yes. and setting it all up. Well, yeah, them. that's that's one part of it. Um, City, Liverpool, and Spurs have have grabbed the best managers. Uh, there aren't many good managers around. You can't just you can't just you know delve into Europe and find the next best young thing. Um, but there's a shift towards long and, or medium and long-term planning. Chelsea have got used to being able to just hire a new manager every year, spend 50 to 100 million and be in the reckoning. But that, doesn't, that cannot happen anymore. So these three teams will learn their lesson. Um, Arsenal, if anything, were perhaps just, just too stagnant. So they went the other way. And somewhere in the middle, Manchester City and Liverpool have kind of pushed on. Um, but um, somewhere along the line, these three teams will learn their lesson and, and, and they will find stability. But it, it, it takes a lot to build all that up. And City and Liverpool have such a head start on that. That's it, it's to do with building. If you look at Man United, all the teams that used to win all the time, Ferguson had that kind of three-year cycle. Other teams have the same thing because they haven't won anything. It does not mean that they're into a cycle. But Chelsea's cycle has been firing the manager. Mm. And then those new players get a sort of renewed... Um, uh, you know, they, they're... I can't really think of what the word is, but they just come into it with more energy and they win the league. Conte said it, Mourinho said it, it was astonishing that they managed to win it with the players they had. Yeah. It's not really changed that much. Liverpool, um, their strategy and the way they've built with Klopp and whoever was in charge of their um, scouting has got that dead on. But see with Man United, absolutely, the, the, mar- the scouting has been terrible and the way they've they've chosen players. So Schweinsteiger, as an example, is an example of a leader, a World Cup winner, somebody who comes to the midfield that can bring something to the team, they thought but they should have realised he couldn't actually do that anymore. Because when Ferguson went, he also lost Scholes, Giggs, Carrick. Well, Carrick's still playing, but not really. He's not really in the team. Fletcher's gone. You know, they lose players like Evans. So then they've got this whole this whole dressing room change and the players they've brought in haven't brought the same level to it. And I think there was talked about in the weekend that if you look in the dressing room, who's the leader there? Ashley Young. Like, I, I wouldn't be impressed if he was here in the podcast room because he's not going to inspire you to... Come on. Well, he's not going to... He's actually young. He's he's not really good right back anymore. Have you never listened to his podcast? He's not a good winger. It's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what, they, that's what they have. The younger players look up to, like, Ashley Young. I can be like Ashley Young. They don't have someone, the, uh, like the Roy Keane, obviously always talked about, Paul Scholes. Someone, you can have leaders. You can have um, leaders on the pitch who drive and shout. You can have technical leaders who just inspire you. Like maybe Hazard's not a leader by shouting, but he inspires others by being so good that you raise everyone else's game. Pogba could be that, but he's so inconsistent. And then you see that like, he, he turned it on against Chelsea and looked great. But in the last few weeks, he's um, losing the ball and then just jogging back. And other players see that and that sets the standard for the, change, the changing room. And that's the culture. One of those players should be De Gea, who's just dropped off a cliff in recent weeks. Is there any pattern to what's going wrong for him at the moment? Or has he just lost? Is his head gone? Well, there is talk about the problems with the new contract. But that seems to me to be misjudging it completely because surely if you want to sign a new contract or indeed you want to put yourself into a position where you're in the middle of a bargain chase and people are, are fighting for your signature you need to be playing well now that is not an that is not a, a, a an excuse for suddenly playing badly and there's, there's no, no way, rationale to that there's no way he's thinking about his contract when the ball's been punted at him from 30 yards I mean it is an extraordinary decline against Tottenham um, in the league when Manchester United won 1-0 in the early days of the Ole Gunnar Solskjaer bounce he was utterly unbeatable 
I was at Old Trafford last uh, yesterday, and um, for all Aiden Hazard's brilliance, I didn't think Chelsea were going to get anywhere until De Gea said, "Oh, here you are." <laughs> I mean, it, it's a it's a really really enormous uh, dip in confidence. The trouble is with goalkeepers that um, they're so much more exposed. So mm. say he was, say he was your fulcrum in midfield, suddenly couldn't pass the ball anymore. You could drop him out, and it, and it wouldn't be the end of the day. Sergio Romero, who, who is their substitute, so a really good international goalkeeper. They could easily bring someone in, but they know that doing it now. So you're in a real dilemma there, management-wise. Mm. Manchester United have thrust absolute chaos into the hands of a man whose managerial experience is Mulder and Cardiff. So of the many things that are they going to Solskjaer's got to sort out, it's David De Gea's head at the moment. Any sign among the fans at Old Trafford that the mood is shifting about Solskjaer? No, it was interesting. The away fans, when you're sitting in the press box at uh, Old Trafford, you can hear the away fans much more. And the away fans True, antipathy. True, isn't it, really? Yeah. The, the, the away fans' antipathy to Maurizio Sarri was playing uh, from the start. They were singing Frank Lampard's name regularly, and that's a kind of hint that they would prefer him to come in. Uh, you were talking about Jorginho. When Jorginho got the ball, you could hear this sort of sigh <laughs> coming from uh, your right, whereas the United fans were still talking about Ole being at the wheel. There's still a lot of support for them, and I think there's an understanding amongst United fans, that he has been dealt the worst hand and he should be have, have a chance to sort it out. It's not his fault. I mean, if you look at the, the chaos that is going on at United, if you look at the dip in form, you can't turn around and say, well, the manager's picked the wrong team. You know, he's, he's, he's picked the players who are available to him. He can't do anything more than that. So I think there's still sympathy towards him. I, I, going back to what the similarities are between the club's I think the major similarity between City and Liverpool, as Adam suggested, is at the very, very top, the ownership understands the game. And I'm not sure the ownership of the big three chasing them understands the game. Roman Abramovich seems to have given up. The Glazers are just interested in it as a cash cow, as they are at Arsenal. And I don't think there's that understanding that in the modern game, you've got to get the structure right. On to here, um, I went and... Went through and watched a lot of the goals he's conceded, and it seems to be if you shoot directly at him, that's when he makes mistakes. So it's although it sounds kind of stupid, it's as though he's so good he's expecting everyone else to be on his level. So if it's top corner, he'll save it. But if it's hit straight towards him, that you saw the, the one with Chelsea the weekend, Rudiger's shot wasn't that far away, and he should have either pushed it away or or kept it. But he's sort of caught in two minds. Um, Leroy Sané's shot was low, straight at his feet. Um, but it was to his body. Mustafi's goal he scored against him was bounced down straight to him and he pushed it over himself. Uh, Messi's goal was low, basically straight to where his body was. He dived, but he just fell to his left and went underneath his body. And uh, Ronaldo's goal he scored uh, for Portugal against him was straight down the middle, straight down are at you, his knee. Are you suggesting that David De Gea is goalkeeping too well? <laughs> I am. He's goalkeeping too well. That's, the, that's what he's doing. Um but as well, on, this, on Solskjaer, saying that um, his only experience is Mulder and Cardiff, he took Mulder to win the championship, uh, the title, twice. And then he took them, when he came back, from about mid-table, upper mid-table, to challenging properly. They were nowhere near it, and they'd finished second twice in a row. He's got that experience. If you look at, like, Alex Ferguson went there, all he'd done was St Mirren and Aberdeen. It's not like he'd have huge um, experience. And Pochettino went from Espanyol to Southampton. 
so he's not got you don't have to have this I think huge club back knowledge to be able to know what you're doing I think Larf Hessenhuttle would do, would done very big, well big big fan of the Norwegian league aren't you JJ let's it, yeah. move <laughs> on to Arsenal they've conceded nine goals in their last three games what is going on at the back for them at the moment I've got a huge question mark in my notes right next to that question um, <laughs> my prevailing um, my prevailing image of, of Arsenal defenders over the last sort of five or six years maybe even longer is just them looking just frazzled. You've got you know, a close-up of Mustafi now, whereas Koscielny came before him, and they're just standing going, what is going on? What has happened to me? Why can't I defend? Why can't we defend? Um, it, yeah, Mustafi seems to be at the heart of, uh, of, of that issue. He's not a hugely popular figure amongst Arsenal fans, it seems. £32 million worth of, of, of German defender, and yet uh, still doesn't be, uh, seem to be able to produce anything that those ingredients suggest. Um yeah, Arsenal are a complete mystery to me this season. They're, they're, they've had a bit of a Chelsea-like season. Uh, Emery went eleven wins in a row. Sarri had eighteen wins without defeat, uh, eighteen games without defeat. But in amongst that, um, the rest of the season, they've had sort of frequent reminders of their own fragility. So um, I don't really know where Arsenal go from here. It, it seemed quite optimistic at the start of the season. Now it's all very much fizzled out. Looking above those teams slightly to the title race, I'm losing patience with this now. When is one of these teams going to lose a game? I really don't know. Leicester, um, I think, could do very well next season. Might even win the title. They wouldn't. But you, know, you know the way they won it before? They start, They had this massive run at the end of the season. Rodgers has come in and done basically the same thing. The players all seem really happy. That's a big shout, JJ. They're not going to win the league. I, I like just, it. I'm just going for a bit of fun. But um, I love. I really like the way they play. Rodgers is making them play just like he had Celtic play. And it, it's very hard for anyone to beat at all. They've got a great young bunch of players there. They seem to be really, really enjoying it. That's a kind of a weird one, how they approach the City game, because James Madison said after the game that they're really looking forward to that because they think they can get something out of it, uh, even though they don't need to. There's not really any need for them to, to beat them, but that's probably perfect. <laughs> Burnley were expected to be a big challenge for Manchester City. Did they set up how you expected them to in that game? Yes, as I previewed in my uh, weekly print bit and online on the Telegraph, uh, they did exactly what I thought, which is quite cool, uh, and it didn't. It sort of worked for a while, it was one of those games that you always thought was uh, the kind of thing that Burnley would win in the 78th minute with a set piece or a or a corner. Well, a corner is a set piece, isn't it? But they had a, there was one moment where they had a free kick with 35 yards out, straight down the middle, and they chipped it wide into the box, and it was exactly the same as what happened uh, to Chelsea when Ben Mee pulled away to the back post and hit it across. But this time it didn't it didn't come off, and that could quite easily have been the bit. And also, I think Barnes, I oh know Wood was clean through on goal at one point and passed it straight to the goalkeeper. Could easily have been 1 0. I don't think City would have found a way back into that. Extremely fine margins in that game, Adam. Will you talk us through the exact margin by which Manchester City won it? Uh, yes, of course. Uh, the Premier League um, released the graphic of the, of the goal line technology, which I believe was 2.951 centimetres, which happens to be. The exact same as um, the ancient Chinese measurement of the uh, Tsun, um, uh, as as it was standardised back in the sixth century. Um, Unforgettably, we, yeah, I think it was uh, Emperor Wen of Chen during a um, during his reign in the Chen Dynasty that um, the uh, unit of the of the Tsun, which is the Chinese inch, was standardised at exactly two point nine five one centimetres. And the scorer of the goal was uh, Sergio. 
Kun Aguero. Yeah, there's a slight pronunciation. This works much better in print and on Twitter than where you have taken this. <laughs> well, there, you, tw- you tweeted this, and I thought that's a brilliant fact that you've just made up. Yeah. Uh, and then no. I saw it in the newspaper this morning and thought, oh my God, they've taken his tweet seriously. But apparently, all true. No, fully referenceable. Um, it's all on Google. Uh, I, I can give you the uh, name of the book. It's very long. Um, uh, back to the title race, though. I, th- I, I fear we're getting into the territory of, of the magic of the FA Cup, where which is predicated along along the lines of somebody underperforming and slipping up when we should be embracing um, high performance. So Liverpool and Manchester City not losing and not slipping up, it's not a boring thing. It should be a relentlessly interesting thing. Um, But you look at the last two games that they've got to play each, I would suspect City are okay. They've come through this gauntlet of Spurs, United and Burnley away. Uh, Whereas Liverpool have Newcastle away and Benitez is incredibly skilled at frustrating top teams when he wants to whether he wants to this time I'm not sure between Barcelona games as well mm. yeah ex- well, exactly yeah. and maybe uh, without Firmino well is he how long is he injured was, there's uh, some noises that might be quite a while oh but yeah no, no what kind sure. of noises Ow, my leg! (laughs) Sounds awful. Uh, Wolves at home on the last day as well. Looks looks a bit banana skinny as well. So, um, uh, yeah, it seems weird to say that Liverpool will fall short, but I think they're going to. Yeah, that Leicester game. Not Leicester, the uh, the Newcastle game, I think, is the one where they may well slip up. But Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain back for them, of course, uh, in their big win against Huddersfield on Friday night. Do you think he would have made much of a difference, Jim, if they'd had him all season? The margins are so tight, it feels like perhaps a player like that just being added to Liverpool might have given them the edge. Uh, I, I don't think so. Uh, they've, they've had you, you can't say that anyone has underperformed. You know, they've, what, what Klopp does very, very skillfully is change his personnel but not change his system I mean it's it, it, it's it's a really really clever uh, management that's going on I'll say Chamberlain was I would think probably down to be one of those not marginal but a squad player who would play maybe 20 25 games when fit during the season so that's not really going to make uh, th- that much of a difference and so if, if we're I, throwing hypotheticals into the mix then Kevin De Bruyne's Prolonged absence for City has probably been rather more decisive. So, you know, if we're allowing players to come back into the mix, then uh, we can have De Bruyne. De Bruyne. I, I, I think that is an absolutely uh, spot-on point, uh, Adam, because De Bruyne is such a fantastic player. And City have yet, however, managed to remain in the lead without him. All right, well, I mean, that's, that, that's a testament to having a proper squad, isn't it? While we're doing hypotheticals... Who is the better team out of these two? Imagine fully fit squads and they play each other 21 times, best of 21. Who's going to emerge on top? Well, Liverpool had the edge over them last season. Uh, Seemed to just actually scare them. Um, Just Guardiola seemed to be nervous about the very prospect of playing them. Um, I think that's been overcome. Uh, I think Liverpool probably have the the energy and the kind of uh, emotional drive more than City. But City are more of a machine. So I've sat on the fence there, I yeah, think. Very, very, very well done. <laughs> I, think, I think City would win over 21 games, uh, but I would back Liverpool in a, in a one-off final between the two. Uh, all I'm worried about in this hypothetical scenario is the previewing fatigue mm. um, and uh, 42 <laughs> pre-match interviews with Pep Guardiola and, and Jurgen Klopp. And uh, I don't think anyone's got the energy for this, yeah, hypothetically or otherwise. Should we have a playoff then? Is that what you're leading to, Tom? Oh, that would be fantastic, wouldn't it? This isn't rugby league <laughs> or union or any of the other sports. You're- 
listening to the Telegraph Audio Football Club, part of the Telegraph Podcasting Network. To find more of our podcasts, just go to telegraph.co.uk forward slash podcasts. Let's rattle through the rest of the Premier League now. Was there, there was the aforementioned defeat for Tottenham to West Ham. Is it too simplistic, JJ, to say this is all happening because Kane's absent for Spurs or is there something else going on there? Yeah, I, th- I think um, Spurs have run a good race and they're just tiring a little bit at the end. Their squad is really short. They really lack width. Um, you could see that the way they they play is that narrow diamond and because they need the width to come from the fullbacks. If opposition teams push someone onto their fullbacks, they can't really go up. And so often you'll find that uh, the left and right back are hanging back a wee bit sometimes, which means that it's very condensed, which means that there's no space to pass through. So you just get the ball going out wide to a midfielder who wants to come inside and you're just hitting balls off a wall and it, they can't go anywhere. That's what happened a lot against West Ham, actually. Fulham seem to be putting on a much better show than Huddersfield for the two teams that are playing uh, only for pride. Any theories, Jim, about why that might be? Well... They've probably got better players. I mean, if you saw uh, Ryan Babbel's goal, I can't see anyone at Huddersfield scoring that. Maybe I'm being <laughs> yeah. a bit unfair. Their win presumably dooms Cardiff. Um, how are you going to remember Cardiff in the Premier League this season, Adam? Uh, slightly depressing squad. Um, <laughs> Neil Warnock either joking about how much he hates referees or actually hating referees. <laughs> um, I think um, what you know the, the biggest indictment about Cardiff's squad. Um, as well as they've kind of done to hang in there, is that there'll be no cherry-picking going on from their squad. I think every single Efferich, member maybe? of that Cardiff squad will be in the Championship next season. Even every single. Efferich. He seems like he could sit on someone's bench for a year. Neil Etheridge will probably be the Premier League because someone needs an English, or, or rather, sorry, a homegrown player. Uh, in as, uh, I, I, I think, you know, Chelsea will probably sign him to replace Robert Green, who's... 58 years old. <laughs> <laughs> uh, brilliantly, brilliantly, I don't know if you saw it, but um, George Galloway tweeted uh, that Cardiff City, he didn't support Cardiff City, he probably said it in a more uh, loquacious manner than that, but he didn't support Cardiff City, but they have surely been victim to a conspiracy of refereeing decisions. So when the master of conspiracy <laughs> theories is coming down on your side. Neil Warnock must be delighted with that support. Brighton, it's going down, though. Yeah, yeah. Brighton seemingly drawing their way to safety, not winning many friends by the way they've gone about it in the last few weeks, but getting it done. Um, what's next season look like for them, JJ? It seems, it seems like it's quite a risky manoeuvre to end the season so negatively. I was thinking about this... Um, well, as part of the quiz, the quiz, the uh, this is a quiz, this is this a quiz, is the, and I'm not winning. Uh, I think they're going to go down next season. I, I yeah. don't know who they sign next season that'll that'll take them to another level. It seems very much like Burnley when they went down, or Huddersfield did when they went down. They're just not really good enough. They relied heavily on um, uh, the lad up front, Glenn Murray, 57 years old. Yes, um, and he scored quite a lot of goals, but they, he's not. He can't do it all the time, and they don't have an awful lot there. I think Chris Hutton's a very good manager, and I think he's fine at keeping teams at a certain level. But because everyone else around them is improving, and it doesn't seem that they are, I would expect them to go down next year. First half against Newcastle at the weekend was really weirdly bad. Um, I mean, I'm not saying they should have been scrapping for their lives, but it, they were. Um, he played two up front, Hutton, uh, Murray with um, uh, Andone. But it wasn't a kind of let's get get at them. They just left them up front, and I've never. It's the first time I've ever seen 
two strikers ploughing a lone furrow without <laughs> um, any support. And it's a shame because Brighton have kind of been intermittently quite entertaining. They're, you know, nice stadium, nice place to go, and they've, they've put on a decent show against some big teams. Um, but uh, Chris Hewton seems sort of oddly kind of immune from criticism. We're not allowed to say uh, you know, he, he's presided over 12 hours without a goal before they finally sort of um, smuggled one home. And, and that's an incredibly long time. Uh, they didn't score for the exact length of time it takes to fly from London to Hong Kong. Fantastic. I, I saw them against Cardiff and they were incredibly anodyne. And yet we've been talking about systems. We've been talking about the whole club, the owner and so on, being backing and understanding uh, the, the, the game. At Brighton, they seem to have got that all right. I mean, they've invested heavily in a fantastic stadium, fantastic training ground. And yet they've bought rubbish players. You know, you've got to do all these things right. Mm. Two derbies, very tenuous derbies to round out the weekend. South Coast teams who don't hate each other very much, Bournemouth 3, <laughs> Southampton 3, and the far more heated two teams that begin with W derby, Wolves against Watford. Did we learn anything from these two games which we didn't know already? Um, well, I, th- I think looking at Bournemouth, um, Ryan Fraser has done superbly well this season. I didn't realise he's top of the assists table with 13 with seven goals, which is a magic return. But Callum Wilson has 14, he scored 14 and he's done nine assists hmm. as a striker playing for Bournemouth, which is pretty exceptional. When you consider Lacazette's, And he doesn't often play either. Exactly. He only played about 27 games, I think. I don't remember if that's exactly right. But Lacazette's got 13 goals and eight assists. You think the return for that, you must have loads of clubs looking at... I mean, even like a Man United might look at that and think... I, w- I wonder if Chelsea could just sign Ryan Fraser, dress him up in an Eden Hazard shirt and wonder if anyone would notice. <laughs> He's got the similar sort of square body yeah, shape, isn't yeah. he? Yeah, yeah. Sort of like a centaur-like physique. I'm convinced they could both run through a wall. Uh, Southampton, I think, are going to be really good next season. I think um, Hassan Huttle is legit and knows how to make a team play phenomenally well. He's also at his peak age, uh, which is about 51 for a Premier League manager, I'll have you know. And... Uh, they, but they play with the, the same sort of passion and energy he puts on the sidelines. You can see it in the players. And he's got uh, a team that looked in real danger of going down, looking like they could easily push for that hallowed seventh place next season. <laughs> There's going to be about eight teams doing that, I reckon. We, of course, have a new member of the Premier League for next season. Norwich City's promotion confirmed. We were speaking a bit about systems, Jim. They've stuck by Daniel Fark. Didn't look all that promising at the end of last year. Recruited well. Are they a good model for other clubs to follow? Yeah, and done it, you know, not on a shoestring. There has been investment. But uh, the, the the expectation was, I think, uh, Farker was uh, told, you know, if you could get us into the top 10, that would be good. And here they are uh, as champions. He's He's a really, really... Interesting uh, model. I mean, Huddersfield have tried it, haven't he? He, he, he was uh, uh, the Dortmund number two. Um, um, uh, sorry, Dortmund reserve team coach. Um, and uh, obviously Huddersfield have tried that as well with Dortmund reserve team coaches. I think that's the place to go if you want to get on in, in the Premier League. <laughs> Dortmund's work. reserve team. <laughs> Disaster working for HR at Dortmund. Yeah. Constant job Constantly adverts. got got. People from the Premier League ringing you up, uh, but he's a he's a he's a he'll be an entertaining addition uh, to uh, the the Premier League. I think he's I think he's a, he's a good man, and you know f- finding um, the 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 guy for, I can't remember his name now the the Finnish uh, centre forward who was at Pookie. Celtic, Pookie Pookie, yeah. great name, mm. um, who was at Celtic and did nothing at all, uh, and yet looks um, a really sharp addition. I I, I, th- I think they'll do all right. 
I watched them against Blackburn at the weekend, and uh, the thing that struck me so much is obviously there was there's a there's a commitment to attacking football which a lot of teams claim to have. Mm. Um, but it, what struck me was the options they have on the ball. Um, like any good team these days, their fullbacks are essentially just live in the opposition half, uh, and and that seems to be the way to do things. But um, yeah, they, they they're a team with ideas, much like Sheffield United as well, who 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 have different ways of of opening other teams up. And that, and that's it's good to see championship teams coming up with those sorts of ideas and not just you know Cardiff style hoofing the ball up the pitch and seeing if it will work like the good old days. They're but very different was... from Sheffield United, aren't they? Because Sheffield, uh, you know, uh, Norwich has got this kind of cosmopolitan. A lot of their players have come from overseas. Uh, the manager came from the German system. Um, Sheffield United is a hundred percent British. The team, uh, Chris Wilder's real old school, uh, ex Oxford United manager, Northampton Town came up the hard way. A, a very different side and yet Wilder is an incredibly pragmatic manager he's not what you expect at all yeah they're, sure. they're up in all but name now Sheffield United can you think of anyone who's achieved more than uh, what was expected this season than Chris Wilder well he's taken them I mean he's used Bournemouth as as the model it says in, uh, reading that in the paper this morning he's used Bournemouth as the model he issued a challenge to his players I think there were six of them on the park um uh, at the weekend, who had been part of the League One winning side, and he said, "Look, Bournemouth had done it. You could do it. It's a really interesting model that they have followed." He's got that underlapping or overlapping centre back um, tactic. I think I've read. I've not seen it in action other than just sort of replays where someone's drawn a line when they go to their thing. But it, that seems to be quite a, a lovely little addition that might work next season. We saw when, uh, with Fulham this this season in the Premier League the way they went from the Championship playing nice football and then recruited terribly with all attackers mm. and lost kind of the core of their team. It's Norwich's transfer market in the summer is really, it's, it's an integral. If they, don't, if they get it even a little bit wrong, they'll be in trouble. And they've got to keep the core of that team going. They've got a few leaders in their team as well, which will help them. Players like Kenny McLean, like kind of older kind of captains of other teams in there in the past that will definitely help they are quite similar to Fulham in that respect but they've got such a solid structure now um, from top to bottom that you can't imagine them making the same mistakes £100 million is obviously quite a tempting thing for a, for a promoted club we must improve we've got to get up a level but I think continuity probably trumps that I think yeah just say bank like on the weakest link and take the relegation I think if all <laughs> else goes wrong uh, meanwhile loads of fun on Sunday in the Leeds United Aston Villa game Leeds failing to put the ball out when it looked like they were going to and scoring them. Bielsa seemingly instructing his team to let Villa score. More handbags than blue water in the process. Surely we want this as the playoff final now between these two. I want to see all of this again at Wembley. <laughs> Will he take his bucket with him to Wembley? That's the important thing, to, to sit on the side. Um, the big question I think we have to ask was Marcello Bielsa made a lot of the fact that, you know, he's in England now. England is about standards. It's about morality, football morality. Would he have done that if they needed to win? It was over for them. I mean, yeah, ludicrous mathematics. They might have still been in it, but it was basically over for them. Much easier to be like that when you know <laughs> it doesn't really matter. The I think I, you're right. The thing I found most interesting about this was you saw players, Villa players, like steaming in to like grab people, and it was it was unusual because it was happening all over the pitch, and normally everyone just goes over and separates those two players. But what you saw was like they got to the bit where they sort of had the person. It's like well, like hit him, uh, but it just didn't happen. They like kind of like slid off each other almost because like we don't know what to it do was, next. We've, we've never got this close to actually hitting. The someone whole thing on the was pitch. incredible when 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 Klitsch scored. 
uh, he was grabbed almost instantly. Yeah. He didn't even have the chance to wheel away in celebration. But um, I have to say, I mean, this, there's been an almighty fuss about this, and, and it was a controversial moment right up until Leeds. Um, yeah. No, I'm not going to go ob- ob- overboard about this. It's not classy. It's just it's just the right thing to do. As soon as they let Villa score. That was essentially the end of the controversy. Of course, that's when the novelty kicked in. You had to sit and watch this bizarre kind of scenario. And, and obviously there was one Leeds defender, Pontus Janssen, I think, who kind of wasn't on message. He's trying to stop it on his own. If he had stopped it, it would have been amazing. Um, so it all added up to so this kind of novelty times controversy equals um, spectacle. Um, so really, it all came out in the wash and it should have all been kind of, um, you know, equal at the end but uh, it, this does bode well if they if they do have to meet again in the playoffs but of course there's the pr- prospect of Leeds Derby as well which also has some history mm. Who would you most like to see promoted from the playoffs who, who would add most to the Premier League next year? I want Leeds because Bielsa and also the best season ever of the Premier League was 96-97 and they were in it so Oh how dare you first important. year without QPR Very precise the First one I remember 96-97 oh. It's quite a, an exciting and uh, interesting uh, playoffs, isn't it? Because mm. I mean, Villa, uh, Villa are in fantastic form. Uh, uh, again, a, a, a huge club of huge tradition who really ought to be in the Premier League. Mm. Leeds, come on, we'd love to see Leeds we're, in there. We're probably forgetting West Brom here, and rightly so. Um, <laughs> uh, they're, they're probably sort of ghosting into the playoffs as, under the radar. But um, so look, definitely at, do it. You yeah. look at the squad. You got Chris Brunt, Hal Robson, Carnu, Matt Phillips. Boas, Myhill, Dwight Gale, Gareth Barry. These are not players I want to see in the Premier League again. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. With all due respect. <laughs> That's all, no respect whatsoever. That is, that is an yeah. armada of ships that have sailed for me in a Premier League context. <laughs> Let's look ahead to the Champions League, which returns this week. Liverpool uh, go to the new camp in great form. How should they approach that game, JJ? It's really, really difficult. It depends, I think, a lot on how um, fit Firmino is. So... They either play that it's a four three three they always play, but it's actually in recent weeks become this four four two diamond like everyone play everyone has. Barcelona won't face have faced anyone like them all season long. It's uh, it's they're ferocious, it's energetic, it's relentless. There's no real way to to stop them from getting at you. But Barcelona have Messi. <laughs> it does make all the difference. It's why they win so many Champions Leagues. It's, who, who plays instead of Firmino? Um, I would, well, Sturridge, they played well. Like, I don't think they can because they played Sturridge um, on the weekend. But Sturridge plays like he he goes in front of the, the other two wide forwards, and that disrupts the shape because you want something to drop in between so that you can keep the other the, the defensive midfielder and the other bit below the two centre midfielders. So the other options they've got are Shakiri, maybe Origi, Origi. But again, Origi? He, he plays ahead. But you, what you'd probably do is put Salah in the middle and put another one out wide. Mm. But Sturridge, I don't think, will still do enough defensively. It just takes one second not to switch on, and the fullback's gone, and then that's the overlap, and then Messi's in. I still think it's worth a go. I still think it's worth you know a Liverpool style first twenty minute assault. Oh, at, I totally at, agree. At the new camp. Barcelona, Barcelona. I've watched them a few times recently. I mean, Messi aside. There's not a huge amount to fear. I'm, I'm not saying they're not the Barcelona of old. They're still a good team, and they're still they're still playing in the same way. But they they, they don't fill you with dread like they used to. This is always the thing, though, when like English teams go and play against someone like Barcelona or Juve or Ajax or something like that. Is you assume that because ah they've not used to, you know they're not used to this blah 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 um, they won't know what's going to happen. But those teams are so much better with the ball. They are so much better at knowing where to be and when when to pass. They're they're calmer in possession. They're better under pressure situations. So, if Liverpool go and absolutely power them, like they did last season, they were just blowing teams out the water. So I think they could do it, but you still have to have 
a little bit of sense and realise that you're playing. I mean, even Rakitic will be playing in midfield. He's one of the best midfielders mm-hmm. in, in the world, even though you don't see him every week, you don't really see it. But he still is. And Busquets is still amazing. And you still got like Alba charging up and down the wing. Messi, Suarez, even though Suarez has definitely peaked, he's still there and can still do damage whenever he, whenever he gets the ball. I'd, like, I think they should go absolutely go for it. But it just takes a couple of mistakes or, or leaving the fullbacks exposed and then that's them in real trouble. But I think based on what they did last season, just just kill them. I, I, I saw I saw um, Barcelona at, at Manchester United and you just yearned for Manchester United to go for them. Mm. You just felt they were there for the taking. Um, so I absolutely would uh, go for it. And, you know, the difference between Manchester United and, and Liverpool is is not writ so much in the... Uh, Mane and Salah though obviously they're a lot better than anything United have got going for them it's there in Virgil van Dijk Robertson Alexander-Arnold I mean they're not bad in defence are they (laughs) so actually they can afford it I mean I think psychologically they're going to have a slight problem particularly at home uh, with the fact they're up against Suarez and Coutinho who was regarded as so symbolic going back to what Adam was saying earlier Liverpool have actually improved significantly by not having Coutinho and Suarez in the team. Yeah. Uh, and yet there's this kind of, I'm not sure with Klopp, but certainly with the fans, an assumption that their greatest strength is now being handed to the opposition. I think any doubt that Liverpool haven't got any gas left in the tank were dispelled in, in sort of the 88th minute against Huddersfield when uh, Jordan Henderson was still herring about chasing after <laughs> the ball. And it, it got to the point where you think, oh, come on, it's a bit much. <laughs> Stop rubbing it in. Yeah. Should be a fun game in any case, as should Spurs-Ajax on Tuesday. Do Spurs have enough left in the tank, do we think? (laughs) (laughs) I think this is a really interesting one. Ajax are, um, I think everyone's come to realise now that Ajax are a very, very good team. They've, that, that's a, a, an 11 built with clear strategy in mind. It's brought young players through at the, the exactly the right point in their careers. I don't think young players, when they're 19, 20, actually get that much better at football. They just have a bit more experience, a bit more cunning in certain situations. So players like De Ligt is already, I think, one of the best centre-backs like, that I've seen live, certainly. I've never seen it. I don't think I've seen many better centre-backs. And you've got De Jong as well. The way they play should, uh, should cause Spurs problems. Spurs' best bet is to hit Ajax on the counter, but they're missing Sung Hyun Min, who is... Oh, of course. Yeah, he's out wow. in the first leg, so that's and their first leg's at home, so that's the time that they've got to go and attack them. I think Spurs' best bet of getting through this is to kind of keep it quiet at home and not concede an away goal and then try and punish them in, in the away leg, maybe hoping that Ajax have taken them a little bit less, thinking they can get... Uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say here, but th- th- if they can make Ajax think they're not very good, <laughs> then that'll help them be able to hit them on the counter in the second leg, and that is the best way I can see of getting through it. Son's a huge miss because when Kane's been absent, he's stepped up to the plate so often this season, not having him. But I think Sissoko's a, a massive miss as well. They don't seem yeah. to have anyone in midfield. So they've got no one in attack, no one in midfield. It's all down to Jan Vertonghen, isn't it? Or Vincent Janssen. <laughs> The yeah. return of Harry Redknapp with down to bare bones. <laughs> Let's finish off by going back to the drama of the Leeds Aston Villa game this weekend, uh, with 10 elevenths of the Leeds team standing aside to give Villa a goal. I would like to know what is the most bizarre thing you've ever seen at a football match, JJ Ball? Um, I've not seen anything that nuts in the games I've been to, aside from Nigel Pepper being sent off five seconds after coming on the pitch. But I remember how um, shocking it was when Paolo Di Canio pushed that referee over. 
and he fell to the ground. He's like, oh my God, he's going to jail forever. <laughs> That's what it felt like the way they were talking. Oh, this is horrific. Oh, we don't want to see these scenes. You do want to see these scenes. It's great. <laughs> but that's the, the biggest thing I remember. And also when uh, Lee Boyer and Kieran Dyer started punching each other on the pitch for Newcastle, poor Bobby Robson had to put up all that nonsense. Disappointed that you weren't at either of those games. What about you, Jim? <laughs> I actually was at uh, Crystal Palace against Manchester United when Eric Cantona oh. uh, took a diversion via the chest of a gobby <laughs> fan. <laughs> Uh, which still remains the the, the 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 most ludicrous thing I've ever seen. It was magnificent. Did everyone see that in the press box? There must have been uh, some I wasn't unfortunate in the people press box. who weren't really paying attention. I wasn't in the press right. box. I was in I was in the uh, the away section, which at that time was at the other uh, at the other end of the Arthur Waite Arthur Waite stand. It was at the, the left hand side as you're looking at the pitch, rather than the right hand mm. side as it is at the moment. So it was directly opposite, and. With Cantona, you couldn't keep your eyes off him when he was on the pitch, and you certainly watched him as he was walking off the pitch. So uh, I, I saw it all. We had an absolutely clear view right across. It was it was magnificent. What, what was the reaction like within the United fans? <laughs> Jim is just standing there with his mouth open. It was astonishing. Also, although we got a clear view, it wasn't quite clear what had happened and everyone piled in thereafter so you weren't it, it, it wasn't as obvious as as you know uh, just one man going walk about it seemed like the whole team had joined in and it was all very very exciting on the way home we were we were talking about it forever and then i remember on the on the on the radio the next morning um Roy Hattersley, who I think was uh, opposition um, or shadow Home Secretary, saying it was the worst thing he'd ever seen at football. And I thought, crikey, Hillsborough wasn't that long ago, Roy. Fair point. <laughs> Adam Hurry. Uh, I'd like to lead us away from ultraviolence for a <laughs> second. Um, uh, um, the weirdest thing I've ever seen at a game, uh, this is more novel than bizarre, perhaps, I was at the World Cup in 2006 and I was um, scorching hot day in Frankfurt for England versus Paraguay, which was so bad. But I did get to witness the peak of the um, Ericsson era England gold, uh, golden generation, which was Paul Robinson hitting the video screen very deliberately, but at, by accident. <laughs> um, by, he hoofed the ball out of his hands so high up, so obviously uh, intended as a pre-match bet to hit that giant video cube that hung over the pitch. And... Um, as in all these situations, your first reaction is, what happens now? And uh, the referee wasn't really sure. Uh, there was a drop ball. Paraguay gave it back, and, and on we went. But, uh, yeah, so that's the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. And presumably a reaction much like it was in the away fans at Old Trafford, just total shock. Just Mal Sagast, uh, Jonathan Pierce on Capital Gold, just going crazy, <laughs> and uh, Roy Hattersley saying it was, the, it was the worst thing he'd ever seen um, in the group stages of a World Cup against Paraguay. I'm disappointed that made it... That they had to do a drop ball. Should they just be in play like the walls at five or seven? Yeah, like at gym. Yeah, in the gym, just yeah. smack it against the ceiling. If you're and play good on. enough to play a one-two off the roof, <laughs> you should be allowed to do it. Yeah, I agree. That's your lot for this week. You can contact me on Twitter before next week's show if you would like to. It's at Tom with an H Gibbs. Don't forget you can email the podcast as well. Our address is afcpodcast at telegraph.co.uk. We will read out the very best of what you send us. Don't forget to subscribe to Audio Football Club if you want all of next week's shows. Just look for Telegraph Audio Football Club wherever you get your podcasts and take it from there. Thanks to Joel Grove on the buttons and thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon.